0: Hey guys, Steph here and welcome to another episode of The Why Show, where it's my job to have a wide-ranging conversation with our guests to uncover their unconventional life paths by delving into their passions, purpose, and philosophy of life. Today's guest is Renji Bijoy. We had a very interesting conversation and for people who are especially not familiar with the metaverse, I think you are really going to enjoy this. Renji shares his vision for the future of work, how he almost had to shut down his startup, which today is number one productivity app in VR, and many more interesting things. He also shares how he's planning on growing and building the first practical metaverse economy, and we'll get into the details of what it even means to do that. I'm also going to add the links to the Immersed website, Renji's company, and also the sample video of how the app works on the description. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Renji, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to uh, talk to you today. I've been a fan of Renji for a long time now. I will, before we get started, introduce him. Uh, He's a wonderful person. He's been doing some amazing work in the VR space, metaverse, all these things that are uh, getting very hyped today. Uh, So Renji Joy is the founder of Immersed, a techstars startup partnered with Facebook, now Meta, and Microsoft to build VR offices, enabling remote teams to maximize their productivity. Immersed is now the number one VR productivity app on the Oculus Store, that is uh, Meta's VR glasses. And Immersed has also raised $12 million to date. That is very impressive. He's Forbes 30 under 30 and also a Techstars alum. He received a master's degree from Georgia Tech in computer science and also has a math and CS uh, double major as well as was a pre-med student at Emory University. Let's get started with talking about the work you do at Immersed, right? So can you tell us more about how you first had the idea and what exactly immersed is for people who are yeah. listening and also if you can expand on like how you can collaboratively work in that specific space and also uh touch on like maybe options and possibilities to create trust and connection yeah. in the metaverse yeah. yeah um
1: yeah so i mean <clears throat> before immersed i was uh, a software engineer at a few different larger companies and um we always had some people who were on our team who worked from home. Um, so this is way before COVID, right? Put your, put your mind in the mind of back then where it was very uncommon to work from home. Um, but, but right, maybe here and there, we would have some software engineers on the team who were actually fully remote and they only engaged with us via Skype back then. Um, and so we would, uh, you know, even whenever, whenever we needed to screen share or whatever back then, it was just a horrible process. And the people who were um, in the conference room in person versus those who were Skyping in, Uh, You could tell the people who were Skyping in were disconnected, disengaged. They were mainly almost live streaming in rather than actually engaging in conversation. And so um, when it comes to uh, the people who are actually in the conference room, they were the ones who were whiteboarding. We were the ones who had our laptops out, we're coding together and those who were Skyping in were just watching. And so I I wanted to figure out some sort of way to make it so that those who were uh, remote and those who were on site, we could bridge that gap and make it feel like we're all together, even though we're physically not. And so, you know, this is, three and a half years before COVID hit. And back then when I was pitching this idea of Immerse, everyone thought it was insane. And they're like, why would you work in VR? Like it's, it's a toy. And, uh, but the <laughs> Techstars uh, managing director, he said that he he knew that he didn't understand what I was working on and he didn't really see what I was pitching, but he knew that I saw something that he couldn't see. And so he just trusted in me and he was like, all right, well, whatever you're working on, um, I trust in it and, and I'm going to back you. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I guess sort of, <clears throat> Fast forward three and a half years. Actually, what's crazy is uh, Immersed was on the verge of shutting down, and you know we'd run out of money. I'd been fundraising for the six months prior to that, and uh, we were an eight-person an eight team. And um, I remember going to the team in tears, saying that you know we ran out of money. You guys can go look for jobs. And what was so mind blowing was the seven of the seven other people on the team. They said, you know, you just keep fundraising. We're not going anywhere. We're just going to keep coding. And it took it took six oh, wow. more months for them to get their next paycheck. It took six more months to fundraise, Damn. so they worked for six months for free, and it was just mind blowing because these are people who had this next level of ownership, uh, this next level of desire to see this vision to fruition. Um, and it was really really cool just to kind of um, even see how since then, when COVID hit, you know, Facebook reached out to us and wanted to partner, um, saying that Immersive was just you know the most used VR application. Um, and they just wanted to work alongside us to figure out how to get this into more and more um, headsets. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, fast forward two years, we've raised about $12 million. Uh, we're about 30 people now. Um, we're hoping to grow to maybe 100-ish by then this year. We'll see what happens. But um, it's been really cool to kind of see how the world has sort of started shifting towards better understanding this metaverse and better understanding how um, it's, it's more uh, effective for people to actually not always be in an open office floor plan. Right. Cause people can get distracted. Um, people can, you know, just, just not really focus on their work, but, um, you'll hear the benefits of people working from home where they can get errands done. They can, um, focus on just their solo work, but then at the same time, collaboration plummets. And so we're trying to create a world where you can kind of do both at uh, the click of a button, right? You're able to just like put on a headset, beam into someone's space, And as soon as you're done collaborating, beam back into your own private distraction-free workspace. Uh, And so the way that Immerse works today is you take an Oculus Quest headset, you can pair it or connect it to your MacBook or Linux or PC um, computer, and it'll create five virtual screens. And so you can take your headset and your laptop to your couch or your porch, or uh, if you're on an airplane and have five screens with you at all times. So it's pretty awesome to have portable wireless uh, screens. You don't have to like carry around these massive annoying things, or you don't have to be tethered to your desk at home and stare at the wall. Uh, But instead you could have these really sort of super cool, compelling environments. And so um, as soon as you want to collaborate, you can then uh, beam or teleport into each other's spaces. You could share one or or, as many screens as you want. Um, You could whiteboard together as if you were physically there together. Um, So there's a lot of really cool use cases because we have more than just software engineers who are using our product today. Um, We have designers, we have legal teams, finance teams, day traders, teachers, students. Um, just everyone who's, who uses a computer to get work done, uh, they use Immersed today. And so now Immersed is um, just the most consistently used VR application on the planet where people are working in VR 40 to 50 hours every week um, and are able to get the benefits of working remote while also being in person, even though you're physically not. So,
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. How did you, it seems like your employees really trusted you and really sort of believed in the vision that you had, right, and that you have for immersed. Yeah. So, how did you actually develop this vision of where you see the the world going and like the future yeah. of work going?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's more so having a compelling vision is important. Um, understanding the nuances or the uh, the even the little details of what this vision looks like longer term, I think that's important because as people have questions, um, if you don't know the answer to the questions. Even though there probably is a solvable answer to that question, the perception of you is, oh, you haven't really thought this out and I don't know if I trust you. And so then they just prematurely throw the baby out with the bathwater, and they don't believe in the vision. And so it's like back then when thinking about what does this future look like? I mean, I'm the type of person who obsesses over every little detail of every little thing. And, um, it's not like it's something that takes me years to obsess over. Um, actually I, I'm kind of the type of person who my brain doesn't shut off until it's fully processed. And so, you know, while I'm showering, while I'm brushing my teeth, while I'm walking to the car, while I'm driving, while I get to my destination, while I sit down, like the entire time, my brain is just going, 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 going. Um, and so, uh, I, I guess back then being able to really understand the benefits and, uh, even, and the cons and know kind of, okay, what does technical implementation look like? What does marketing it to people look like what does the type of talent necessary to execute on this vision look like what does fundraising look like uh, what does the legal side look like like all those things are so important to obsess over um, building startups is not anything that anyone's entitled to it doesn't happen automatically um, you need to be very intentional with every little aspect and so um, when i think about you know gaining my team's trust and you know it's, it's, it's a lot more than just having a compelling vision but it's thinking through because anyone can pitch anything anyone could pitch an awesome one-liner um, you can, you can maybe outsource that and pay, get it from someone else who knows how to be strong in communication and just copy their stuff. But if you haven't thought through right. all the different problems, um, that you're going to be facing, if you don't almost pre-live, uh, what needs to happen, um, and you, it, it sounds weird to say that, but if, if you don't, if you're, if you're not able to kind of, uh, conceptually, uh, you know, go through the mental exercise of, um, looking forward towards what sort of obstacles you're going to face in the future and know how you're going to respond to those things. And now know how you're going to remove roadblocks and, and mitigate risks you're just not, you're just going to struggle long-term. And so I think because uh, my team, every time they were, ever had questions about anything, I've already thought through these questions. I've assumed that they were going to ask the question. I knew the answer. Um, it gives people a level of uh, trust in you. And, and that's another thing is not even just trust from the standpoint of, oh, there's an answer, but also trust from the standpoint of, are you a person who says that they're going to execute on what you say you're going to execute on? Um, and I think kind of building that track record with my team, um, though we ran out of money, it was still three and a half years that I was able to kind of uh, prove to them that, Hey, we've been able to figure out things and we want to continue to figure out things. And so for them, it was like, yeah, we were in the the trough of VR disillusionment where VCs were not funding VR companies and they were aware of that. So they almost felt like um, us not raising money was completely outside of my control. It was just a market thing. And they're like, man, if we could just last like a few more months, maybe we can still keep going. And so, you know, I think most of them were thinking maybe two or three more months until we, we close around, but it ended up being six months <clears throat> at, at that point. Um, yeah, fortunately for us, we were able to back pay them six months and um, keep moving forward. And so um, I, I think the level of trust that they had in me was not only the fact that I kind of had a, had a game plan for a lot of things. Which, to be real, to be a strong influential leader, you have to be a person who um, really does obsess over these details and make sure that you're a person that people can conf- uh not not just confide in, but but uh, find to be reliable. And so there's that, but there's also the character piece too, right? So if you're if you're developing a relationship with these people, every little thing is important, and they know that like though there are times where you have friction and tension and stuff if you're a person who's willing to kind of stick with them and work through that friction um and not just like cut ties and be like bump you i'm out um then if anything i feel like you you almost like uh you you melt or you you kind of melt together or or, or you you weld together stronger if that makes sense right it's almost like uh, annealing if you know the process of like creating a super uh strong sword right like you heat it and you cool it and you heat it and you cool it and the molecules kind of place together almost perfectly to the point where it's almost like crystallized in a really strong way uh, and i feel like the people who've been here the longest at immersed, though we've had difficult times as a company um, i feel like this is one of the strongest teams on the planet and so there's a reason why even facebook um, hasn't been able to catch up in regards to our amount of user usage um, it's just because we have a crazy team so yeah
0: yeah that's awesome I didn't know they were also sort of competing in the same space because it, they're yeah. they're
1: collaborating with you guys. Yeah, right? it's both. It's uh, there's different departments at Facebook or Meta. Mm-hmm. Um, one department works with us, and another department works against us because they're trying to figure out like like we're we're, <laughs> we're in their crosshairs, and the question is, okay, do we want to um, acquire Immersed or do we want to obliterate Immersed? And so
0: I'm
1: sure they go back and forth <laughs> all see. the time. Yeah, but for us, yeah, um, I just think that we just need to keep executing on our vision. at, at the At the end of the yeah. day, like, uh, you know, there's multiple. Industries where you have multiple winners, so like there's Uber and there's Lyft, and yeah, right. Uber obviously has you know three times the market share that Lyft does, but Lyft is still a you know twenty billion dollar company, whatever they are. Sure. Um, and on top of that, like I'll be real, like I think that at the end of the day, there are key advantages that startups have over tech giants, right? So it's not like me versus Mark Zuckerberg; it's me versus employee number eighty thousand, and. I feel pretty good about the fact that we have a team of 30 founder mentality people as opposed to 9 to 5 employees at Facebook who don't really care to obsess over the problem after after hours. So
0: that makes sense. I want to go back quickly to the idea the original idea you said. So you said you had like a team of people and sometimes you'd have to do some meetings over Skype, right? Yeah. How during that time did Immerse already exist?
1: No. So I no. <clears throat> I started Immerse back in 2017. Um, yeah, I was a software engineer since 24, like early 2014, all the way through, uh, 2017. And, um, it was just problems that I was noticing at different jobs I had in the past.
0: So you had to actually, like you were working somewhere else and you had the idea, the vision, and then
1: you left the company working at. Actually, no, I I, I I quit those. Jobs. No, I quit the jobs first because I hated the jobs. So <laughs> it was, that was I, realized, <laughs> I realized I was very different from every team I had been on, like, not only were that I, that I noticed those issues existed, but also I noticed that I wasn't a normal corporate employee. Like I was climbing the ranks very quickly, but I'd realized that um, I wanted to do a lot more than what they could provide for me. And so, uh, meaning like I wouldn't even... How respond.
0: did you find how, how did you find the, the right timing if there was ever a, the right one for you?
1: Um, well, I, I think fortunately for me, because I was, you know, a 24-year-old kid and I had a lot of money in, in savings. Like I had, it sounds kind of insane, but I had probably about uh, 10 to 12 years of runway. Uh, so like I could kind of just go 10 more years without a paycheck and I'd be fine. Just live off the savings. And if, from, I, I climbed the ranks pretty quickly and I kept my, my personal burn low. Like I, you know, I paid like 200 bucks a month or 170 bucks a month for rent. Like just cause I'd shack up into a house with 10 dudes and like <laughs> save a ton of money while making you know 300 K paycheck. So it's like people didn't realize I was making that much money. Um, but I mean, if you're a VP of engineering at a company, like you make a lot of money. Um, and so I just would, I I'd live on people's couches. Like I would just, you know, just like random, like <laughs> I, just, I, right. just really, I didn't know what I was saving for at the time, but, um, I saved a lot of money. And I think once I hit maybe about, I don't know, seven hundred eight hundred thousand $800,000 saved, um, I was like, I mean, I have a lot of money to do, like I'm not doing anything with it. And I was investing. I did a pretty good job with investing.
0: So you wanted to start a company.
1: You, you I, I, I didn't know that. No, I you didn't know I, I actually, I actually quit that job and focused on a uh, PhD at Georgia Tech. Um, but that was too long. Yeah. And then I quit the PhD and just settled for the master's degree. And then after that is when I started the company. Because at first I started with Corporate America and then I then moved over to kind of um, research and I realized both of those world, worlds were not the places I, that, that I fit. And then... Yeah.
0: Because because I, I think it's so curious because I feel like so many people that have reached some sort of success end up, um, you know, conveying, conveying this idea that somehow they're you know their career was like super like thought out and it was planned right and and that's not always the case in fact like most times it's not even close right so yeah. i i always find it very very interesting to look at you know different steps that people have taken previously to finding the right quote unquote thing that they are like currently working at mm-hmm. right so so it's very very
1: cool yeah yeah. I mean, I, I think that like for me, like I just, I knew that every job I had, I was, I, I was, I was going in wanting to stay there forever, but there was always some sort of issue where managers will always tried to like sun you unnecessarily, or like, even though you're doing better work than they are, <laughs> or like things where, um, yeah, they would just compartmentalize you and wouldn't really care to use your brain to its fully, fullest extent. And I was just like, this is a waste of, uh, waste of my abilities. I feel like I could do a lot more. And so that's when I then moved to academia because I was like, Hey, I, I can invent stuff. But then there right. I realized that, you know, we were partnered with the, the U.S. military, or whatever, the Department of Defense, and they weren't using half the stuff we were sending them anyway. So I was like, why am I here? Mm. And so I ended up quitting Let's that see. and then starting Immersed.
0: You're seeking impact then, in a way. Mm-hmm. Right. So how did you find your team? Because you had the idea at some point. Yeah. How did you gather a team yeah, so, that believed in you?
1: Yeah. So uh, first I got into Techstars, and that was a pretty huge feat because um, Techstars is one of the world's top accelerator programs, right? So you have like Y Combinator and then Techstars is a direct competitor. Um, Techstars has about 10,000 startups to apply to it worldwide and only 10 get into each location. And so we were one of the 10 in 2017. And so um, I knew that that was a huge privilege to, to begin with. Like I, everyone in that program was like Harvard, MIT, Stanford, Yale, whatever. And or uh, they had already sold their first company. And so I was non-Ivy League, non-millionaire. Uh, and so I was definitely like just having to figure out how to um, stand out. And I knew that I brought a lot of relational um, capacity or relational ability to the table, whereas a lot of these other founders were very transactional in their relationships with employees. Um, whereas for me, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a very highly relational person. I really do care about um, taking care of my team more than just executing well, but also making sure that we can go even further because um, of their like mental well being. And so when I think about um, just sort of the the, the people I need to recruit at the time, I didn't have a, I didn't have a ton of money to be able to hire a bunch of engineers or anything because engineer, engineers get paid a lot. They get paid. 300 to 700k a year, like depending on how good they are, right? You know, if you work at Netflix, you're probably getting paid 700k. Um, and so, like, if obviously as a, as a senior engineer, but you generally want to start startups with with stronger engineers. And so, um, what I realized is I had a little bit of a window where I was also um, just on the side uh, mentoring at a couple of different coding boot camps, and I had maybe 40 different students over the course of that year. And I just picked my top students, and I was like, hey, like I realized that at least back then. Uh, coding boot camps were a new thing and companies didn't want to hire you if you didn't have a computer science degree. And so if you were just doing a coding bootcamp without a CS degree, um, it was hard for you to get a job. And so I was telling them, hey, you guys are beasts. And so like, if you need <laughs> I experience, see. I got free labor for you. So <laughs> this works out. <laughs> oh, so, wow.
0: That yeah. was a smart move.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was wow. really, really helpful. Yeah, because it was, it was win-win, right? Like everything in life is all about aligning incentives. And obviously like you have your agenda, but the other person on the other side of the table also has their agenda. And so if you can find a way to uh, make those two things align, then you have a good partnership. And so, um, yeah, my top students needed, uh, an internship. And I was like, I need you guys to code. So, uh, work along. Yeah, that's meeting. amazing. Yeah, it worked out nicely.
0: And did you, did you back at Georgia Tech or Emory, did you do or start any sort of club or like initiative
1: that not really you know,
0: helped you in your leadership? Not, not,
1: not really, because I mean, when I was at Emory, I thought I wanted to be, become a doctor. So like I applied to med schools, I got into med schools and then I, When it really came down to commit to a school, I already started working as a software engineer because I was waiting to hear back from med schools and I really started learning my job. So I ended up realizing that uh, I shouldn't go to med school. So so I threw all my letters in the trash. So I I guess because during undergrad, I was so focused on med school. um, But then once I actually graduated, I was like, man, I don't want to go anymore. I didn't really have time to work on clubs or anything. Because also at the same time, um, I I was a scholarship kid. So I had tuition paid for, but I didn't didn't have living expenses paid for. So I had to work a full-time job while going to school and then trying to like prepare for the MCAS. Right. So I don't really have time to do much initiative type things, but if you're talking about like leadership type stuff, um, I'll be real. I mean, I'm just going to be straightforward about this. Like I think mainly the fact that, so I'm a Christian, I read the Bible. And when I see, when I learn about what scripture teaches about in regards to character development, that's honestly the single-handed biggest thing that's ever turned me into any sort of leader. Um, it's just kind of how that sharpens my mind. So there's that. And then also at every job I had been at, um, when I applied those things that I learned from scripture, and I realized it actually gets me a lot further than people who don't really have any sort of um, grounding. Yeah. Like it just gets me a lot further than they do. And so I just started climbing the ranks of these different companies and you learn a lot through that actual experience too.
0: I I can also see you have many books right on the, the shelf behind you. I'm sorry to listeners that they can't really see, but um, you mentioned also having religion as a way to sort of give you um, wisdom, yeah. inspiration and wisdom for becoming like a, a good leader, right? Yeah. Do you also have books that like favorite books that you've gifted
1: the most or books that you really believe people should read from a leadership standpoint? No. Cause I just haven't read very many leadership uh, books period. Um, for me, most of the books I read are more kind of startup books in regards to like, how do you build good product? how do you execute, um, in the market? So it's a lot of startup tactics type stuff, like, you know, the lean right. startup or hooked or fade driven entrepreneur is like entrepreneurship. And then this one is the vision of the metaverse. And so, uh, right. yeah, there those books are more kind of, okay, what is my particular application? I see. Yeah. As far as leadership development, how do you be a, an influential person? I mean, that's pretty single-handedly just the Bible. <laughs> just,
0: yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, there he goes, the book recommendation.
1: Yeah. I mean, just um, to be real, like when you think about the stories in the Bible, like you think about guys like um, Jesus and then Paul and then Peter, like these are people who essentially like, like they, they it's, it's almost like maybe a, a more modern day movie would be something like 300, where you see like King Leonidas at the front lines and he sacrifices his life for the sake of his people. It's that hero story, right? So I think <clears throat> you see a lot of that all over the Bible is really this sort of hero story, um, this level of integrity, sacrifice, um, generosity. Things that like like radical versions of that, where people die for the sake of their people. Um, it's not like oh hey like I gave up some money and I donated something to like the homeless. It's like okay yeah that's that's a good thing, but that's not anything that's crazy mind blowing. Um, I think that's also partly why my team wanted to work for me for six months for free um, was because they know that I'm you know I'm a person that they can trust and they know that I'm a person who would die for them. Um, even though half of them, I never met in person at that point because we were all remote too. (laughs) And so, uh, I think just, again, when I say highly relational, it's a lot more than just, Oh, I'm being a good friend. I think a lot of it is, um, being a good, I don't know, like a good leader for them. And when I use the word leader, everyone has a different definition of that. But for me, I think about a person who is like an influential visionary, who is willing to make the hard decisions, um, even if it's at the expense of their own well-being. So you learned that from scripture.
0: Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, switching gears a little bit, do you have a failure that has set you up for later success
1: or any sort of uh, favorite failure of yours? I think it's the, the, the running out of money for the company. So that's, that's a pretty big one. Um, what else? I usually don't fail. I'm just kidding. That's- <laughs> 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 let, me I, uh, let me think. I mean, that's probably one of the biggest ones where I thought I was on the verge of... Um, Shutting down Immersed. So that, was, that was one of the biggest ones. I mean, I, I think there were a lot of perceived failures that I saw as successes. Like, for example, like me not going to med school. I thought that was a win, but my parents hated that. Um, mm. What else? I mean, I think, yeah, like moving away from Atlanta, uh, my parents were really upset about that, but it was a win for me. Um, I think that in general, though, I think a lot of people care too much what people think about them. Um, and like, I, I forgot who said this, but I remember uh, hearing something along the lines of like, you can call it failure, but you could also just call it learning. Um, you keep iterating until you end up getting a win. So, um, yeah, for me, like I every, I I think I'm very good at, um, like yes, I I don't callous myself where I am hardened to the effects of failure. I actually I make sure I feel the weight of failure so that I don't go and fail again. Um, I learn from my mistakes. Like for me, I do hate I hate failing, um, and so because of that, I obsess over the failure and I learn from it. Like I feel the weight of it. I grieve through it. It sounds kind of insane. But if you feel the weight of it, as opposed to just callousing yourself, if you're the type of person who's just like, oh, failure sucks, let me callous myself, let me drink my problems away, and you just like don't feel the actual effects of it, you don't actually like digest it and process through it, uh, I think you fail more often um, because you just don't learn from it and you keep making the same stupid mistakes over and over. So it's like, why not just, number one, learn from your own mistakes, and then number two, pick the brains of people around you. Learn from their mistakes so you don't have to make as many of your own.
0: Yeah, cool. Good, good advice. I want to talk a little bit about a very exciting news that you guys have shared uh, this week about becoming or wanting to become the world's first practical metaverse economy, right? So for people who have no idea what I'm talking about, at least the idea uh, behind it, it's that people can finally stake their claim in a metaverse that has true utility and is here to stay for the long term, right? So can you explain for people that are not very familiar with what the metaverse exactly is, like what exactly you are talking about when you say you, you are the first practical metaverse economy.
1: Yeah. So, and just uh,
0: to, so before, before you actually start, I have uh, some very interesting things that I, that I was during my research, I was just compiling and correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys have launched it this Sunday, right? This is May um, eight yeah, May eighth, Monday
1: morning, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: right. And today is May eleventh, right? So only three days mm-hmm. in between, yeah. and this is happening in the form of uh, selling NFTs at OpenSea, mm-hmm. and the volume traded in this uh, new project of yours, uh, it immersed, has had a total volume traded of over two hundred and twenty-eight Ethereum, and using the current price, that's about half a million dollars already of digital pieces of land sold in yeah. just three days. Yeah. This is absurd. It's it's so yeah. impressive. So, okay. Ranji, like, w- what is going on and, and how is it that you're, like, kind of, like, playing God here, creating, <laughs> like, an entire new Manhattan? Like, yeah. what is going on?
1: It's funny because uh, we actually... So, uh, at, at the end of day one, uh, it was... We hit half a million. The past couple of days hasn't been much volume just because... Um, it, it's funny, like we so on, on day one we were actually hoping to hit about a million and a half
0: <laughs> and so oh, it shows wow. you our oh my hour. god
1: the, the thing is though like so a lot of the people who were wanting to get in there was a bunch of ethereum delays and so um they actually don't, they actually only get their ethereum on like thursday and friday of this week and so we're just kind of sitting around waiting for some of these other people to get their money in and so um, I see. uh so it was cool because uh, even though we on monday felt like it was a a small failure. We didn't get 100% of the money in. We only gotten like 40% of the money or 30% of the money in. Um, we, yeah, we just, we still hit number one on the OpenSea utility NFTs list. And so it's funny how like our team, one of the guys on the team said, all right, you know your bar is so freaking high when you're number one on OpenSea on the planet, but you still- you still- you're still, <laughs> you're <not laughs> you're about you're still sad about oh,
0: it. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, so for me, like for people who are like outside it, I saw like- 228 Ethereum in just in like three days, that's a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe if you compare yeah. it to the, the current projects at uh, OpenSea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but it's like, yeah. come on, right? It's like, <laughs> I know. still. I know,
1: I know, I know. So, so I mean, I'm, I'm excited. Crowd. Yeah, I'm excited because hopefully by, uh, you know, uh, seven days through, we'll be at a million or something like that. Like, that's my hope. Um, so we'll see what happens if, if everyone else can get their Ethereum in and hopefully get uh, the rest of that sold. But um, for us, yeah, we're only doing the initial 300, 360 plots of the total 10,000 of virtual Manhattan. Um, but to take a step back and answer your initial question of like, um, what the heck is this metaverse economy? Um, what we had realized was as we were building just a work in VR application um, that is now the world's most consistently used VR app, um, people are working in VR 40, 50 hours a week, right? Like Time magazine wrote an article. You had mentioned you know Cal newport, the the, the New Yorker they they wrote on it. Um, it was really cool to kind of see how we sort of laid the groundwork for uh, not only building a working VR app, but a, a, a an application that people could actually build businesses and and also employ people and uh, be able to, intra- uh, to transact goods and services in. The metaverse right so things like opening up virtual co-working spaces in vr where you don't have to actually go to a physical location and set up wi-fi and pop in coffee shop and you know furniture and staff and all of that but instead just spin up a quick virtual version of a co-working space by owning a plot of land working with a 3d environment ours to cool create a cool co-working space and just let users start using it right charge them maybe three bucks at the door and if only a hundred users check out your co-working space that day then you know you made 300 bucks in a day and if you, you multiply that by 30 days a month That's $9,000 you just made passively in a month that replaces your job. Um, And so like, as we, that's like one of many examples, right? You can do um, virtual concerts, virtual movie production, you know, uh, coding bootcamps in VR, whatever. You can do a million different types of virtual businesses in the metaverse, um, but it's quite literally just mirroring what exists in the real world, except for creating a much more low lift, convenient version of that. Meaning, uh, so an analogy I like to use is, I don't believe that Netflix replaced the movie theater I think that I just made a more convenient version of a movie theater because when you go to the movie theater with friends and stuff, like you want to have the experience of having, right, um, you know, popcorn, your friends get an icy or whatever pizza, whatever um, booming sound. Uh, it's it's a really cool experience, but you can't do that seven nights a week. Um, but you can watch Netflix at least you know seven nights a week if you want. Um, and so I think likewise, when it comes to this metaverse, like, yes, it's not going to replace like restaurants or something, right. Cause you want to go to a restaurant and you want to like eat actual food. You're not going to eat virtual food. That's not a thing. Um, but when it comes to things like surfing or basketball, or whatever, you want to do that in the real world. But if there are like inconvenient things where you want to be able to like meet with someone who like lives in New York, but you're in here, you're here in Austin, Texas or, or something. And like, you want to have a, a personable experience and you want to like meet with them, um, or or working spaces, or even just like influencers trying to hang out with their followers yeah, you can do a TikTok live stream, but you're just reading chat. Um, You're you're reading chat stuff and you're commenting on it. It's not as much of a deep emotional connection. And so I've come to find out that a lot of influencers actually want to develop relationships relationships with people, but in a safe way. And so instead of doing that in person, via your concerts or maybe, I don't know, if you're an author, maybe I guess book signings and stuff, which those things you have to, it requires overhead, logistics, security, right? There's a lot of things like in the real world, people's lives are actually in danger, but if you do in the metaverse, you're not. So all that to say, like, there's sort of this way where um, this approach to building the world's first sort of practical metaverse, um, which is the route that we're taking this far. And what we'd realize is there's a lot of sort of um, virtual land apps or virtual game metaverses. But in order for that to get the level of virality that is necessary for the world to actually adopt that metaverse, it has to be like the next Call of Duty or something, right? Um, But if it's not, if, if it's just a game, then most people, they just don't have the time to devote towards gaming. So we want to create a practical metaverse for people. I mean, every, every adult has to work 40 plus hours every week. And so since we already have people doing that in the metaverse, really, it's just it's not even like VR early adopters. It's really just anyone who uses a computer for work. Um, if they just find out that we allow virtual displays in VR, they're like, oh, why wouldn't I want portable wireless displays? And it's like a very distraction free private workspace. People literally people who've never heard or even touched VR before will literally go out and buy an Oculus Quest 2. And then they'll use immersed. It's pretty mind blowing. So it's not like, it's almost like they heard about Oculus because they first heard about immersed, which is really cool. So all that to say, I'll kind of end it here. Like we um, really do care about building a a metaverse that's practical for people. That's not going to replace the real world, but rather add uh, more convenient versions of what exists in the professional um, real world, but create a more convenient version of it that allows people to live anywhere they want. So even if you live in a boat in the middle of the ocean, uh, you know, paired with Elon Musk's Starlink that gives internet access worldwide, um, you could literally beam into the Google Mountain View office, um, even right. though you're not physically there. So we want to build that oh, sort of wow.
0: economy. Do you view it also? Because just for context for people listening, um, this first part of the metaverse you guys created was just Manhattan, right? Do you also envision having like the whole world? in the future, you know, in maybe a few years,
1: yeah. as um, like
0: the, the whole thing.
1: Yeah. Um, yes, but based on user demand. So meaning like as soon as uh, people request like the virtual Hawaii or virtual L.A. for entertainment or whatever, uh, we'll create right. those spaces. We're not going to just create all I of um, the only reason why we decided to choose Manhattan first is because there, there's there's no knowledge gap necessary to bridge um, meaning like if we create some sort of metropolis or something or a utopia or something yeah. we have to like teach them what that even means whereas if we talk sure. about virtual Manhattan people think oh business, finance, fashion, right. whatever uh, yeah. we release virtual LA, oh entertainment cool, like it's very very easy to understand
0: yeah Renji, uh, thank you so much for taking the time, I really enjoyed our conversation I learned so much about the metaverse and all the future plans it was really cool, thank you so much for taking the time
1: yeah awesome, thanks for having me
0: hey guys thank you so much for listening until the end if you enjoy the show i would really appreciate it if you could share with anyone you think would enjoy it